1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to go to a, a portion of Scripture starting in verse 6. This is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to his spiritual son, uh, Timothy. And, uh, and this is what he says. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Tonight, I want to speak to you just for a few moments on fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight. Let's pray one more time before we get into the word. Father, I pray these next few moments that you would open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our mind to understand, our heart to receive everything that you want to communicate to us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And with expectation, everybody said. Amen. We have here uh, that we just read, Paul is writing, and he tells us to fight the good fight. He says it again in 2 Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. We have the Apostle Paul talking about finishing the race. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we should run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for us to run. Jesus told us that we should take up our cross and follow after him. And after reading those things and hearing those things, which, which one of those makes Christianity sound easy? None of them. So we shouldn't be surprised when it's difficult. We shouldn't be surprised when it's hard. When it's talking about running a race, when it's talking about fighting a fight, when it's talking about doing anything with perseverance, that means it's not quick, it's going to be long. Doing anything with perseverance. And then when Jesus says, you've got to take up your cross, Jesus said, you've got to die to yourself and you have to follow after me. Nothing about any of that sounds easy whatsoever. So it's kind of a shock and a surprise whenever somebody comes to me and says, wow, this is difficult. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is very, very difficult, but there is a tremendous reward for it. And we see Paul as he's writing to Timothy, and Timothy's coming up against some, some false teachings that are happening around him, and he's facing some adversity. And, and Paul, in this letter, he's encouraging Timothy a little bit, and he's kind of setting the record straight on some doctrine issues and some different things. And, and I think it's, it's important for us to know because sometimes I, I think whenever we start facing adversity and, and, and we start hearing uh, some, maybe some false doctrine and we get into some challenges that we can feel like, man, we're the only people that are ever facing this. I, I'm the only 
only one that's ever faced this challenge. I'm the only one who's ever been through this. Nobody's ever sit in this seat before, and yet whenever we pick up the Bible and we can read about all of these years ago where Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, hey, look, I know where you are. You are in the seat of adversity. You are in the seat of challenging times, but I want you to know that you're not the only one that's ever been there, and I want everybody that ever reads this letter to know that they're not the only ones that has ever been there, that this is common to life, and it's common to to being a person on this planet, that we will deal with challenging times. We will face difficult situations. We will have to make really hard decisions, and whenever you understand that, you have to also understand this, you will fail. How can it be hard, difficult, tough, adverse, and to feel like you're always going to get it right? I have news for you today. You are going to fail. Nobody in this life is exempt from failing. It doesn't matter how much you want to do it right. It doesn't matter how much you love Jesus. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church every week. It doesn't matter. You are not exempt from failing. You will fail. Why? Because life is difficult, and we face challenges that we are not fully equipped for. If you fight a long fight, guess what? Sooner or later, you're going to get punched in the face. If you run a long race, sooner or later, you are going to get weary, and you are probably going to stumble at some point. It is just going to happen. That's why I love what Michael Jordan said. Michael Jordan said, I've failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Why? Because I failed and I failed, but what Michael Jordan was saying is I kept getting back up again. I love, uh, and Michael Jordan says, you know, I've, I've taken 9,000 shots, and I uh, have so many of those shots have lost all these games. You know, he talks about how many games that he missed the, missed the game-winning shot. You know, that's not what you see on his highlight tape. You know, you see him hitting the shot and celebrating and winning the championships and kissing the trophy. That's what you see. But Michael Jordan missed a whole lot of potential game-winning shots, and he failed, but he kept taking the shot. He kept at the end of the game saying, give me the ball. I might have missed the last one, but I'm going to make this one. And he said, that's why I succeeded. I have failed and failed, but I kept getting back up, and I kept believing, and I kept shooting, and I kept dreaming, and I kept trying, and that's why I succeeded. Well, it's the same way for you. If you are going to succeed, you have got to learn how to embrace failure because there is no way that you will experience long-term success without walking through failure. It's not going to happen. So you have to understand that my failure is not here to finish me. My failure is actually here to develop me, and my failure is here to push me forward closer and closer to what God has created me to be. And I love uh, John Maxwell. He wrote a book uh, by this title called Failing Forward. Because when you think of failing, you think of moving backwards. But you don't have to fail backwards. You can actually fail forwards. And you can use what the enemy thought was going to be your tombstone as a stepping stone to get to the next level in your life. You don't have to fail backwards. You can actually fail forwards and fail closer to your success. So we understand that, that, that life is going to be tough. And if life is going to be tough, then sooner or later I'm, I'm going to make the wrong decision. I'm going to deal with some things. And so that's what Paul is just writing to Timothy. He's trying to encourage him. He's trying to challenge him. He's trying to give him a little pep talk and give him a little uh, a little truth at the same time. And I want to just break down 
this, this little scripture that we just read uh, real briefly tonight, and then uh, and we're going to go. It's let's go back and uh, read through it a little bit. It says, "Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content." Paul says, "Being godly and being content." produces great wealth in your life. And now when, when he's talking about wealth, he's not talking about, he's not talking about financial riches. When, when he's talking about when you are godly and, and, and you are content, it produces a prosperity in you. You know, that there is a prosperity that has absolutely nothing to do with finances. It has to do with your soul flourishing. It has to do with your family flourishing. It has to do with everything in your life flourishing. And there, there is a, a prosperity and a wellness and, 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 a, and a wealth and the gain that has absolutely nothing to do with what is in the bank, but what is in your house and what is in your life. And that's why when Jesus says, you, I created you to live the abundant life, he said, that's why I came, that you might have life and you might have it to the full, that you might experience the abundant life. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to fill up your bank account. Uh, Jesus was saying, I'm going to fill up your life. You're going to overflow with favor and overflow with blessing and overflow with peace and overflow with purpose. You're going to be overflowing in your life and your family is going to prosper. I'm going to do things for your children that money couldn't do for you in the first place. I'm going to do things for you in your health that money couldn't do for you in the first place. And Paul understood this. Paul understood that there was a blessing and a peace that came from God that you can't get anywhere else. Paul, Paul was not just, uh, Paul was a, a, a well-educated Paul had been around the best of the best. I mean, Paul was like at the Harvard, the Yale University. He was of the top echelon. He had seen wealth. He had seen riches. He had seen pristine. He had seen all of those things. But you know what he said? He said, man, let me tell you what will produce great wealth in your life, godliness and contentment. That's what produces great wealth in your life. Because Paul understood, you, you can't take this with you. I came into this world with nothing, and I'm going to leave with nothing. Job said, naked I came in this world, and naked I'm going out. I can't take anything with me. I didn't come with anything. I'm not leaving with anything. And so if you, if you can't take your toys with you, then you better store your treasures in the right place. That's why Jesus. That's why Jesus alerted us to this in Matthew chapter 6. It's the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal them. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. See, what, 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 what Jesus was telling us, Paul's telling us the same thing. You can't take anything with you, so make sure that you are preparing for where you are going and not just preparing for your tomorrow. Because I can tell you, tomorrow's going to be here and going to be gone, but eternity is going to last forever and ever. So we have to make sure that we are preparing ourselves, storing up our treasure in the right place. And Jesus said this about your heart. Your heart is going to go wherever your, wherever your treasure is. And if you put 
more, more, um, more stuff into your toys and your treasures on earth, then your heart's going to be connected to earthly things. But if you put more into your treasures of heaven and storing up in, in eternity, then guess where your heart is going to go towards eternity? Your heart is going to trace, uh, is going to chase whatever, whatever you put your intention on. So we got to make sure that, that we're not just about this life, not just about this, our stuff on this planet because you, we can't take it. We can't, Paul makes it simple. We can't take it, Timothy. Because the people were teaching us false doctrine and they were, they, were, they, they, were, they were greedy people and they were trying to use the gospel and, and, and to get wealth for themselves. And Paul says, Timothy, that's not where it's at. You can't take it with you. You can't take the car with you. You can't take the house with you. You can't take the car. Timothy wasn't taking no car. <laughs> you can't take those sandals with you. <laughs> just, so you just so you know, I didn't think there was cars like back then. I had to clarify. You know, I thought like, dang, pastor thought there was cars back in the New Testament. <laughs> Someone needs to let him know by Henry Ford. Hello. You don't find Henry Ford in Matthew, you know. We have to make sure that we understand that we can't, we can't take it with us whenever we leave. And so Paul writes this in, in verse 8, and he says, So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. If we have enough food and we have enough clothing, let us be content. And I, I, I say this. A lot, but I say you have to be content with what you have, but never be satisfied with who you are. You have to learn to be content with what you have, but never be satisfied with who you are. The problem with the world is the world gets that backwards. And they are satisfied with who they are, but they're never content with what they have. They are satisfied with who they are but they're never content with what they have. They're not content with their house. They're not content with their job. They're not content with their spouse. They're not content with their paycheck. They're not content with anything that they have. And when they're not content, that's why they start looking for other things. They start looking for other spouses. They start looking for other jobs. They start looking because they're not content with what they have. But whenever you are not content with what you have, getting something new does not make you content. When you are not content with whatever it is that you have now, you will not be content with the next thing that rolls into your life. And so what we have to understand is that I've got, I have got to be content with what I have, but I can never be satisfied with who I am. And to be content with what you have requires gratitude. It requires gratitude. You know, you, you, you probably have very seldom ever seen a person who was extremely grateful and extremely greedy. Because you, you don't, that combination doesn't really exist. Because people who are incredibly grateful, now they can, they can be driven, they, 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 they can be chasing their dreams, but they're not greedy. They, they are grateful for everything that God ha has given them. They are grateful for their spouse, and they're grateful for their home, and they're grateful for their cars, and they're grateful for their job, and they're grateful for all of these things. And, and there, there's an attitude of gratitude. And, and I'll just take this one step further, that, that it's, it, it's not just enough to be grateful. We have got to learn what it is to give 
thanks. Never be satisfied with just saying, I have a grateful heart. Gratitude that is that is unexpressed is is ingratitude. You have got to express gratitude. You have got to give thanks to the Lord. You have got to say, I I can be thankful, but if I never tell destiny thank you, guess what? My gratitude means absolutely nothing to her. If I don't say thank you so much for what you do, thank you, thank you. If you don't thank people, it doesn't matter how grateful you are in your heart. And God is the same way. He is a speaking God, and he demands a speaking thanks, and he demands a speaking praise. And that's why you see it all the way through the Bible. It's never just about what is in your heart. God always talks about what is in your mouth. you got to learn how to give Thanks. And so if you're going to be content with what you have, it starts with giving thanks. It's hard to to, to get in the habit of giving thanks and give thanks and and then not be content. Because you just thank God for what you have. Because you didn't bring anything into this world. You got clothes on your back and you got food on a plate and you got a roof over your head. And man, when you just start being grateful, and it's amazing the, the... the, the younger you are, it's like the more grateful you are because, it, you know, with Carolina Lee, when I start asking her, what are you grateful for? She'll start talking about the most random things, <laughs> things that I've never even thought about being grateful for. And I'm like, yeah, babe, that's good. Yeah, you're right. We should be grateful for that. I've never been grateful for that in my life. But, yes, you, we should be grateful for that. But it's like sometimes it's like we outgrow gratitude. We outgrow thanksgiving, and then we wonder why we're not content. Why am I not content with what I have? Because you're not grateful for what's in your hand. But if you get grateful for what's in your hand, guess what will follow? Contentment in your heart. Be content with what you have. Never be satisfied with who you are. and Because we're always striving to be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And that's where the world, that's where the world gets it backwards. I'm, I am not satisfied with who I am because I don't, I don't look enough like Jesus yet. I got, I got stuff in my life that I've still got to work out. I don't look enough like him. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not at the level of righteous and holy and godly that I want to be at. I, I still get sucked into things that I don't want to be. I still think things in my mind that I don't want to be in my mind. I still say things that I don't want to say. Those things happen. I'm not like Jesus enough yet and because of that I'm not satisfied with who who I am but let me tell you what I am I am content with what I have he goes on in verse 9 and he says but but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. How do you how do you you fall? We've been talking about the the last several weeks, last couple months, we've been talking about epic falls, and we've been we've been talking our way through that. How how do you fall? How how do you get trapped, as it says? They 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 fall into temptation and are trapped. How do you fall and how do you get trapped? It, It just means you're not looking in the right direction. You're not looking for the right thing. 
And, and that's why the Bible talks so much about where our eyes are. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, keep your eyes fixed straight ahead. Walk the safe path because God has created a path for you to walk. The safe path is the righteous path. The safe path is the path of holiness. The safe path that God has created because if you walk that pathway, it will keep you from the sorrows and the pains that sin will bring into your life. And so you've got to keep your eyes. It talks about your eyes so much in the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and I think it's interesting here that that, that he incorporates the writer of Hebrews incorporates the same thing that we just read from from Timothy it, it's about a fight about a race it, and it's about our, our eyes and, and it says this therefore since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance let us run with endurance let us run with perseverance the race that God has set before this how do we do that how do we run this race we do this verse 2 by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give he gives us the key to running the race the key to fighting the good fight he says you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Why do you have to keep your eyes on Jesus? Because your eyes want to drift. Your eyes want to drift off of Jesus and they want to drift to yourself. Your eyes want to drift off of Jesus and they want to drift to your problems. Your eyes want to drift off of Jesus and they want to drift over to temptation. Your eyes want to drift off of Jesus and drift to the successes that you created and that you earned and that you deserved in your life. Your eyes are always wanting to drift. And that's why he says you can't run this race that God created you to run. You can't win the race that God created you to win the only way you can do that is by keeping your eyes on Jesus and if your eyes start drifting then you are not going to know the way here's why we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus James writes in James chapter 1 verse 12 God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation isn't it interesting that all of these scriptures that we're reading from Paul to Hebrews to James there's all some type of race there's all types there's some type of enduring there's some type of persevering there is some type of terminology that says hey this is not going to be easy it's not going to be easy but it is going to be possible and you've got to keep your eyes focused on Jesus you got to stay on the right track he says God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
This is why I have to constantly be looking to Jesus because my desire is always trying to get my attention. My desire, the evil desires within me are always trying to get my attention. Hey, look over this way. Hey, why don't you get distracted by this? Hey, that's why every single day, this isn't a Sunday thing. This isn't a once a month thing. No, this is an absolutely everyday thing that I have to tell myself, today your eyes are going to be fixed upon Jesus. He's the champion who initiates and he perfects your faith, and today there's going to be all types of, uh, of, of distractions that are going to walk by. Today there's going to be all types of discouraging moods that's going to hit your desk. Today there's going to be all kinds of things that come across your world, and if you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, then your own sinful nature is going to be dragged away by the lust that is inside of you, by the evil that is inside of you, and you're going to end up in a place that you never intended to be in the first place, and you say, how did I get there? How did I get off of this track? How did I get out of this race and get all the way over here? Because it had everything to do with my eyes. I stopped looking to Jesus to be the author, to be the champion, to be the Lord of my decision making. I started looking at the wrong things. And when I look at the wrong things, I can't do what God created me to do. And so that's why Paul continues to write to Timothy in verse 11. And he says, but you, Timothy, you are a man of God. Oh, I love this about Paul. I, I just think that Paul could sense that Timothy was in a little bit of a struggle. He was in a struggle with what he was facing, and he was questioning some things. And we, 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 we can see in some other passages, Paul kind of speaks to this, and he just takes a time out after going through all of these things and talking about the, the love of money and talking about the deceptions and talking about the temptations. And he says, but you, Timothy, listen, Timothy, you're a man of God. You are a man of God. I am prophesying over you, Timothy. You are a man of God. I'm declaring over your life, Timothy. You are a man of God. You are not just a man of God. You are God's man for this moment and for this job and for this calling. You are God's man. But you, Timothy, you are a man of God. So run from these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So run from all these evil things and pursue righteousness. I, I have a feeling that you've lived long enough to know that righteousness will never pursue you. You've got to pursue it. The goodness of God pursues you. The kindness, the loving kindness of God, that's what pursues you. Righteousness never pursues you. Righteous is when you decide to make the right decision to live according to the right standard that God has put in front. You have to pursue righteousness. Righteousness is not going to pursue you. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, you are a man of God. You've got to run away from the evil, but you better run towards the good. You better pursue righteousness, and you better pursue a godly life because a godly life is never just going to happen in your life. You make a godly life happen in your life. It's not something you just wake up because 
I prayed a prayer at North Point Community Church and I wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be godly. It's not just because I sign up for a small group that I'm going to be godly. It's not just because I play the electric guitar in the worship band that I'm going to be godly. No, the only way that God gets into my life is when I put God into my life and that happens through the way that I live. It doesn't just happen. you got to pursue that. You got to pursue that every day, every moment, every hour. You've got to pursue a godly life. You have to pursue righteousness. You have to constantly be going after that. And, and he says, pursue righteousness and a godly life. And he says, along with, with faith, along with, with love. And we 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 get that. We we get that. This is a, this is called to live a life of faith. Okay, that makes that makes sense to me. I know Jesus gave us the commandment. He said, this is the, the greatest of all commandments. You've got to love God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. You've got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We, we understand how important love is. And so, so we, we get this. We, we get the, the power of faith. We get the power of love. And then he includes these, these other two words. And this, this thing of perseverance. This thing of perseverance, this thing that we've read about in all these little, all these little different contexts, it's all popped up and running with perseverance, running with endurance. If you face the trial and endure, as Jesus said, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. All of these different things, and they all have got this element of endurance and perseverance. And so Paul says, I want you to pursue a godly life. I want you to pursue righteousness. I want you to go after faith, and I want you to go after love. But you better not leave out perseverance. Better not leave it out. Because this fight's not a quick fight. This race is not a sprint. And you better pursue perseverance. You better, you better understand that, 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 that there's no such thing as a, as a one-hit wonder when it comes to the kingdom of God. You've got to be into this thing for the long term. You better, you better pursue perseverance. And, and, and then he adds this word, and gentleness. You say, hmm. I was reading that today. I said, and gentleness. This, this, this word, it seems like it's out, it's out of the norm. Like I, righteousness I get and godly I get and, and love and faith and, and all the perseverance I get. And he says, and then gentleness. And, and, and then I just, I just felt the Holy Spirit just drop this right into my heart today. And says, because sometimes when the journey gets long, you cannot be gentle. You can get hard along the journey. You, 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 you can make it, and, and it's not that you're weary, but you've been fighting so long uh, that, that now you're fighting people you don't even need to be fighting because you're just fighting the good fight. Ah, I'm just going all after it. And, and, and he's like, no, 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 you you got to make sure that you don't let the length of the journey steal your gentleness for the journey. You've got to be sensitive along this journey. You, you, you've got to have some kindness along this journey. There's got to be some compassion and some empathy and some sympathy on this journey. And you can't just be so much about faith. And you can't just be so much about perseverance and endurance and getting it done that you lose your gentleness along the way. So, Timothy, you better make sure that you, you also go after this gentleness. And then he says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Let me just give you just a couple of ingredients as we wrap up. Philip, you can, you can come on back up now so I can close. Let me, give you, let me just give you some ingredients. The ingredients of the good fight. The ingredients of the good fight. 
It's just a little acrostic for the word good. The ingredients for the good fight, the G is for gratitude. You know, gratitude is the key to having a great attitude. If every time you see gratitude, you ought to see great attitude in gratitude because that's what you have. You, 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 you have a great attitude whenever you live in gratitude, and we understand how powerful attitude is in our lives. Uh, the old saying is that your attitude will affect your altitude. However high you go in life, however, however high you soar in life will be directly in proportion to your attitude. That's why people who have just a great attitude Attitude. It's amazing. The people that have great attitudes, they just always seem to be promoted. They always seem to have favor. They all, they it seems like they catch every break because they have a great attitude because your attitude will take you places. Just having a great attitude. If you want to get ahead in this world, just have a great attitude. Just, it's amazing what a smile and a great attitude. Like you can just, just, man, you can soar. But where does that come from? Having a great attitude, it starts with with gratitude, being grateful for what God has given you, it translates to having a great attitude. And whenever you, whenever you live in gratitude, you're able to fight a, a good fight. Because I'm grateful for what I got. God gave it to me. First Thessalonians, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Give thanks. So that, does, that means it doesn't matter what you're facing in your life right now. If you want to fight a good fight, be grateful. Be grateful when you're up. Be grateful when you're down. Be grateful when you have a lot. Be grateful when you have a little. Be grateful when everything's going good, and be grateful when it's really tough. Gratitude is just not determined by your outward situations. Gratitude is determined by the state of your heart. My heart is grateful. When I have a job or when I lose a job, I'm still grateful. When when. When, when things are going great in my family, when I'm facing challenges, I'm grateful. Why? Because it's, it's key for me fighting the good fight. I can't fight a good fight when I'm not grateful. How can I, how can I, how can I fight a good fight against the enemy that's trying to do what Jesus said? He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy from you. How can I fight a good fight against that enemy when I'm not even grateful for what I have in my camp? When I'm trying to look around and, and get a better deal somewhere. I'm trying to find a better thing somewhere else. How can I fight a good fight? I can't. A good fight's got to start with gratitude. The first O is for obedience. For obedience. Can't, you can't fight a good fight without obedience. You got to obey. You got to obey. You got to obey the small things if you want to see the big things come to pass in your life. Obey God. Obey his word. It's amazing. His promises are yes and amen, okay? But you actually have to live out those promises in your life. And when you live out those promises, it's amazing that they really do work. It's amazing. The word of God will amaze you. I mean, yeah, it really will. It's, it's incredible. You start living according to the word of God. You, 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 cannot, you cannot glance over obedience and, and, and live or and fight a good fight. You've got to be willing to obey. Here's the, the second O is, is, is offense. You gotta have some offense in your life. And that's not offense, like getting offended. You gotta have some, you gotta have some offense. 
Nobody has ever won a fight without throwing a punch. Nobody has ever won a fight without throwing a punch. Nobody has ever won a fight just playing defense. And God knew that you couldn't win that fight just playing defense either. So if you're going to fight a good fight, you got to have some offense. And that, that's why whenever you read in Ephesians chapter 6 and it starts talking about the armor of God and it goes all the way down and talks about the helmet and the breastplate and the belt and the shoes and the shield, but then it gets to the very end and it says, and you've got the sword of the Spirit because God wanted you to know that you got a weapon. And if God gave you a weapon, he gave you a weapon for you to use it. He didn't give you a weapon to talk about your weapon. He didn't give you a weapon so you could just shine that weapon. So that you can feel good about that weapon just being, you know, right there on your hip. No, 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 no. God put, gave you a weapon in the Spirit. And he said, the sword of the Spirit, it's the Word of God. And I gave you that weapon because if you're going to fight a good fight, you've got to go on the offensive sometimes. you got to play offense. you got to get into attack mode. And you've got to pull out the Word of God. And you've got to begin to drive the enemy out. You've got to drive fear out. You've got to drive depression out. You've got to drive discouragement out. You've got to drive creed out. You've got to drive these things out of your life. How do you do it? Because I got a weapon. I got to get on the offense. I'm fighting a fight. I can't just play defense all my life. Oh no, I don't want to sin. Oh no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I got to get on, I got to get on the offensive and I've got to get out there and I've got to let somebody know about Jesus. I got to let somebody know about the good news. I got to let somebody know about what his grace and his love has done in my life. I got to get on the offensive and I don't have to be perfect to play offense. I don't have to have everything together in my life to play offense. I don't have to have everything all figured out to pull out the sword of the word of God and to begin to obey that word that says go into all the world. That wasn't for people who have uh, high level degrees, theology, and been to seminary. No, that was for every person that would believe on the name of Jesus. You have a weapon and you can take the word of God and you can put it into action And in the same way that it worked for Paul and the same way it worked for Timothy and the same way it worked for Billy Graham. It'll work for you the exact same way because the word is no respecter of persons. But it only works for people who play offense. You got to play offense. Got to be on the offensive if you're going to fight the good fight. And finally, the last ingredient for the good fight is determination. Good old-fashioned determination. told our staff last week in our staff meeting I was doing a, doing a teaching and I said no matter what you want in your life, no matter what you want in your department, no matter what you want to see in your family, there's two things that I'll guarantee you it'll never be as easy as you thought it would be and it'll never happen as fast as you thought it would never no matter what you want it'll, it'll never be as easy as you thought it was going to be It'll never happen as fast as you thought it was going to happen. And that's why most people never get what they want. So it didn't happen as fast as they thought it would. And it wasn't as easy as they thought it was going to be. So they quit. They just give up. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to take this long. I didn't think it was going to take this much. I didn't think I was going to have to deal with this many headaches. 
That's why something like 94, 96% of small businesses close. Because the people that make it, for the most part, are just more determined. They're just more determined. They went in thinking, this could cost me my entire life, and I'm in. This could cost me everything, and I'm in. This is, this is going to 18-hour days. I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get this business off the ground and see it flourish. I will do. That's what determines. Well, you just move that right over into the spirit world. And whoever you see yourself being in the spirit, whatever you see yourself accomplishing for God and doing for his kingdom, it's not going to be as easy as you thought it was going to be. And it's not going to happen as fast as you thought it was going to happen. But if you were determined to see it happen, and let me tell you, it will happen if you continue to press on and you continue to run and you continue to fight and you continue to believe and you keep carrying your cross and you keep dying to yourself. And if you just keep on that path, guess what? It'll happen. Good fights wrapped up in determination. How bad do you really want it? How bad do you really want it? And that's what I love. Paul's writing to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you better fight this good fight. He writes him in 2 Timothy, his next letter. And he says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. Let my life be an example to you. Fight the good fight. Fight the good. Timothy, live a life of gratitude. Live a life of obedience. Live a life of living on the offensive, taking the word of God, going after the lost, preaching the gospel, seeing people's lives change. Pull out the weapon that is the word of God. Live your life according to it. And Timothy, just be determined. Keep running. Keep fighting. 